listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Maybe you're on a walk, a social distance walk where you're walking six feet away from somebody or you're just walking by yourself with your earphones on or maybe you're on a bike ride or maybe you're sitting on your back porch. I don't know where you are, but maybe you're listening to a podcast. Maybe you're listening to this podcast. And if you are, I'm glad you're here. And uh, we'll get back to having real guests and real stuff real soon. But in the meantime, last time, last week, John was on and John and I sort of promised that we would do a show about connecting. And so I got John back. John, you're back. Hey, I'm back. I have done all of those things, by the way, in the la- that you mentioned in the last 24, 48 hours. Oh, wow. And so... Like, Listen to podcasts while walking in the park. I've been walking with someone else in the park. I've been uh, bike riding, um, which you did today. I did. I did. And I, did it feel good? Well, it, it, I mean, I'm in terrible shape because um, I, I just haven't done very much the last few weeks. And I, I, I'm realizing that if, if, if this wears on as I think it will for a while, I, I got to I got to get more disciplined about getting outside. Yeah. So I, and I, well, I I'm, from my perspective, I, that's one of the things that's saving me right now. I love the park. We have a great city park not far from here with miles of uh, bike paths and, and walking paths and things. And people aren't crowding it. It's a nice, you know, socially distanced space. Um, in addition to that, the Arizona governor just signed a, an executive order saying that closure of parks will be prohibited by state law over this whole time. So no matter what happens, the parks will always be there, which I very much appreciate uh, hearing because you always think like, oh man, I'm taking great, you know, I'm taking great solace in this one thing right now. Don't take it away. What if they take it away? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, I think they are taking away playgrounds as they must. Like they can't have kids doing that stuff. So. Um, right. but, but I'm watching, I, I, you know, on my bike ride today, I saw some parents playing with their kids in, you know, in pods, different places. And I thought, okay, you know, I saw, I saw some really good things on my bike ride today. I saw some really bad things. Um, you know, I saw people that were not social distancing in any way, shape or form. Um, mm. but, uh, so anyway, um, yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so we, we, we said we would have a conversation. So anyway, I, I just wanted to, I thought like, okay, we need to get back and we'll check in with each other and then we'll try to get our podcast back in some kind of a, I don't want to call it normal. Helpful. Yeah. I mean, we'll be, we, we want to be helpful, but I also want to get back to having maybe helpful guests. Mm-hmm. Um, heck, probably some people that we want to have on the show will be more available to us now. <laughs> maybe so. So, uh, so yeah, so. So you're doing okay. I am. I'm doing okay. It's it's interesting. I mean, I I, I think a, a lot of us, and me, myself included, I feel like I'm suffering from pre-TSD, um, which means that the trauma there, there's been no trauma yet, but I'm I've, I've got I've got stress disorder because I'm I'm worried about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh huh. Um. 
And so th- th- it's an interesting thing. I was listening to um, Max Brooks, Mel Brooks, the comedian's son, uh, who wrote those uh, novels, uh, World War Z, uh, the zombie novels. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Um, which he says were actually kind of about, they were very well-researched books about what happens when a pandemic hits the world. And he's actually, it turns out like he's written nonfiction books about global disasters. He's a fellow at some big war college. I mean, he, he really knows his, his stuff. And uh, he was saying that he's, for years, all of his friends have thought he was a crazy man prepping. He said he felt like Noah, um, <laughs> but uh, he, he's suddenly feeling very vindicated. Um, <laughs> I always wondered like how the preppers are doing right now and feeling all self-righteous. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a crazy thing. We you know he lives in Los Angeles. So he was, he, what he said was, as he's talking to people who are trying to figure out what to do, he's like, how could you not have an earthquake kit all these years? But what he said, uh, this is the, the point. The reason I brought him up was what he said was, he said, studying worst case scenarios and making preparations is the way he copes with his anxiety. That, that that actually calms him to dig. He said, it's when I don't know what, it's, it's when I, I have this sort of vague sense of dread, but I don't know what it would be like or what's going on or how scary it really is. Right. And some mm-hmm. people say like, oh, if you're scared, like don't think about it. And he's like, no, no, I need to think about it. The more I think about it, the, the more my anxiety fades away because I'm like, I know what's going on here. Yeah. I think that different people have different self-soothing strategies. And it was mm-hmm. just, it, you know, it's interesting to me as I think Max and I may have something in common in that um, I actually rest easier when I, when I feel like I have, I have a general idea of, of, of what the parameters of the situation are. And when I have, on the basis of those parameters, made some plans and made some preparations, um, that actually soothes my heart. That's good. Um, can I ask you how much of a prepper were you before this? Like, did you have a lot of canned food and stuff like that in case your visions of apocalypse came to fruition? I didn't. What I had was I had very clear idea of what I ought to be doing that I wasn't, right. you know, that I wasn't doing. So like I had gone through all of the emotional um, and philosophical and ethical decision-making about, for instance, whether or not I should have a shotgun in my house. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, when, when you're, a, when you're a Christian pacifist as I was for many years, like on principle, like, uh-huh. you know, it's just like, that's not even an issue. And you think like, it's a wrong thing to have a gun. And then when you become, when you leave that and you're just like your basic everyday sort of NPR liberal, you sort of think that guns are a blight on society, which they are. And therefore you shouldn't have one. You shouldn't add to the problem. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a number of years ago, people broke into my house while I was gone in my neighborhood and, and robbed us. And 
I was very aware that, you know, I live, you know, every, I mean, every New Year's Eve, I'm aware of the, in the neighborhoods that I live in, <laughs> every New Year's Eve, when everybody comes out and starts shooting their guns at midnight, I'm aware of how many people around me have firearms. And so, oh, right. and so anyway, so, you know, you start to think like, oh, well, what if, what if there was one of these disastrous events, like an earthquake or, or something, and there was a temporary suspension of order and somebody was hungry and they came to my house and they wouldn't go away or somebody, you know, somebody was, was demanding that I give them something and, and, and when we didn't have it to give and this, you know, what, what, what I always used to think was, I would be sitting on my second floor huddled with Marty going, why the hell didn't I buy a shotgun? Not so I would shoot the person, but just so that I could rack the thing, scream downstairs, <laughs> I have a gun, and then blow out, blow out a window. Just shoot it out a window. And the person would go like, you know what? Maybe I'll go to the next house. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, so, and so I just thought to myself, you know, so I went through the whole ethical dilemma and came to the conclusion that I was the kind of person that should buy a gun and a gun lock and put that thing away and never, never use it, but like just have it, on, have it in my bedroom closet. Mm -hmm. And then I never did it because a gun cost right. 500, 500 bucks and I wasn't going to get around to it, you know? <laughs> so, That's so, funny. so, so as this stuff, you know, and, and same thing with having- So you're a prepper a in theory, but you're a bad prepper. Exactly. I'm a, I'm a terror and you know, I'm a terrible prepper. And the thing is like, again, I'm not thinking I need to have automatic weapons. Like, I don't think that's a strategy for survival long-term. I'm just saying like, if there's a temporary suspension of order, I just want to be able to get through it until order is restored. And then my ultimate long-term strategy for surviving in any kind of a situation are, is community, is having a set of loving relationships right. and cooperating with people that you care and know about and that you can resolve conflict with and growing food together and protecting it together and, you know, telling stories that give kids to give hope to your kids. And, you know, I mean, I, I have a kind of a fairly well honed sense of what it means in the long run to survive a global economic and social collapse. But, yeah. um, but, but, but there's this, there's always this moment and I, and, you know, and so in theory, I, in theory, I had worked through the ethics of it, but I had never, I, I never did anything about it. Right. So now I got a bunch of stuff in my basement. Like I've got canned goods and, you know, uh, and some extra, you know, big, big bag of rice and stuff like that. And again, like it's not, you know, part of it is because I want to avoid going to the grocery store. I want to go to the grocery store as seldom as possible. Mm -hmm. But part of it is, you know, I, yeah. uh, I you know, yeah. I want to be ready. Worst case scenarios you want to keep in mind. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I just found a big bag of rice. And I'm assuming that when you say big bag of rice, you're talking about the same thing as me. I found a 15 pound bag of rice yesterday at an Asian market, 500, at a, a Japanese market, 500 yards from my apartment. After going around the supermarkets all over the place looking for rice and, and none is on the shelves. Yeah. I guess maybe nobody wants to go to Asian markets or something, but I walked right in there and said, what's your best rice? And she said, there it is. And it was a 15 pound bag for 20 bucks. And I thought, man, this is the deal of the century. Good for you, man. Good for yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. So I know you want to ask, so Bart, 
since you're so committed to community building as a, as a, as a, as a survival strategy, how's that going for you now that you can't see anybody? <laughs> right. Well, I, you know, it's funny because my life has, is very technology based. Uh, I think more technology based than yours. And so that is a question I have about you because typically, when, how often would caravan meet before now? Twice a month. In person. Okay, so, twi so twice a month in person, and then I'm sure you see book. some of those people even between those meetings. Oh, yeah. And there were book yeah. group, book groups and game nights and things like that. Like, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a lovely community of about 50 people that actually really care about each other. And they're, right, and they're right. really trying to help each other grow in goodness. Yeah. And so then uh, this last Sunday, you guys would have been meeting? Yes. And, and actually, we, what we did was what many congregations of all kinds did, have been doing the last few, few weeks, and that is we organized a online gathering. You know, you used, used like Google Meetup or Google Meetings mm -hmm. or whatever. And so there were like 25 different computers tuned into the, 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 the service. And we, I mean, we did, we did what we always do. We, you know, we opened up with a meditation. There was a reading. Um, one, one of the women in our group played a beautiful song on the guitar while everyone listened. You know, it was just, so, so there's probably 40 some people involved in it, but obviously each of us from our own home. And it was, you know, it was oddly comforting to people. People liked it I didn't know if it would be valuable or not, but it proved mm -hmm. to be very valuable. Well, so, I mean, I first, I have so many observations on this in general in people's lives right now, because I know that a lot of people and, and a lot of our listeners are going to be doing this every day with people at, at this point. I certainly am. But, I, you know, I always did stuff like that. So I don't know if, you know, I think people are finding apps now that they never knew that they had that were available before. Absolutely. But it sounds like, so So let's say, you know, those 25 people that are logged on or 25 computers in different houses logged on to Caravan, are you able to see them too and talk to them as well? Yes. I mean, I, and, and like, okay. I'm not the guy. Like, you know, we have a whole leadership team. So we we had gotten together a bunch of times before and to plan what that hour would look like and how we would introduce people to it, how we would handle like the protocols of chatting or tech, you know, chiming in what the order okay. of the thing would be. So everyone could see everyone. Well, the only, the only point I want to make though, is that I think it sounds like you guys are doing it in a little bit more of a collaborative way, even during the meeting. Um, maybe collaborative is the wrong word, but instead, because a lot of these big uh, mega churches and stuff, basically you're just seeing what they're doing and you can't take part in any way. And I guess that's my point is like, you guys have an ability to sort of interact with each other. And it's so in interesting. A, in more of like a family video chat or something. Yeah. And some, and, and, and what's interesting is, is I got contacted by the Huffington Post uh, mm -hmm. earlier and they said, hey, you, you run a secular community, a humanist gathering. What are you doing during this crisis? And I said, oh, yeah, we're going to have this online thing. And she, she said, well, could we interview you about it? And, and more importantly, could we publicize the gathering, you know, uh, on the Huffington Post? And, and, and I called my other friends and I said, what do you think? And they were like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> like they're like <laughs> right. they're like it's this is gonna the, the whole point of this is for our people 
who are disconnected from each other and who are feeling sad for being cut off to feel connected to each other. It's all about the interaction. Um, and so if we had a hundred people from other parts of the world sitting in and chiming in, like there's value in that probably too, in a different way, but they were like, no, 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 this is, this is a, uh, this is a, an in-house club meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we didn't, we didn't publicize it. Um, and I think that was the right call. I, it turned out to be because it was funny afterwards, you know, cause as often happens in a caravan meeting at some point, somebody and often me gives a little, you know, 15, 20 minute talk. And, uh, so when we were doing the postmortem a few, a few days later, you know, sort of the, 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 what do you call it? The review or the, what do you call it when you do that? Debriefing. That's it. Uh huh. I asked some people about my talk and all the other leaders said, yeah, yeah, I can't remember. Like, it was great. I don't remember a thing you said. (laughs) They said, because I was so focused on all the things, because in the middle of my talk, there were these pauses where, where time for people to feed back. And they said, once people started feeding back, I was so focused on what people were typing and trying to respond to what other people were saying that I, you know, I just, I'm sure it was fine, but. They were like, the point of the gathering wasn't the content. They were like, the point of the gathering was feeling connected. Um, all, again, like at the same time, you know, all having the same, having a shared experience with the people that we usually have a shared experience with on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So, so how did that go when you were, when you were doing your, is that your part that you do is the talk? Well, not always, but often what'll happen is we'll figure out what the piece of content that we want to communicate or what the idea that we want to, that we want to introduce is going to be. And everybody on the team will like chime in and we'll come up with the idea together. And then they'll go like, Hey Bart, can you know, like, since you do this thing a lot, can you just turn that into a little talk? Can you, can, right. you, can you deliver the message? You know, On so, the topic that you're talking about. Yeah, and, and even the content. Like, I don't, like, I'm, it's not like, what does Bart have to say this week? It's more like, what is, what is the collective wisdom of the group that Bart is going to try to, you know, articulate? Right. So oftentimes right. I'm the, and not always, other times other people are articulating. But, uh, and, and so, so for this one, since it was, you know, since there was a certain amount of, new ground they were like well you're the most comfortable communicator and you have that podcast so why don't you deliver the talk so i did right right so what did you have it all worked out ahead of time i guess you always have notes and things like that yeah actually i I screwed up because what i would normally do is print out my notes on paper um and therefore i could make eye contact with the people in this case i had my notes on the computer i hadn't printed them out and so while I was looking at my notes, that was what was on my screen. So like in, in a situation where I'm already not getting any um, audience feedback, I got even less. <laughs> Which I know you love. Yeah, I know. I, I live for that stuff. That's, you know, that's the way, I, you know, so, you know, I, you know, whether it was a good talk or not, I don't know. Uh, I, I just know I, I, I did my best to communicate. Well, give me the gist me. of the talk. Yeah, you, I mean, Okay. I mean, I, I, what did you, what was it all about and why? And, and also, I mean, was it especially about this situation? I imagine it was, but in a, in a very sort of caravan way or humanize me kind of a way. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, I started out by just saying, 
like obviously this moment is difficult for all of us. Mm -hmm. But the thing to remember is that it's difficult in different ways for each of us. That, you know, a, a few months ago at, at Caravan, we had had this speed dating friendship thing where we had, you know, gone down the line and talked to different people for two or three minutes at a time. And that whole gathering was all about highlighting the disparity of advantages and disadvantages that different people have. Um, mm -hmm. Sort of, you know, kind of different kinds of privilege, different kinds of, of, of difficulties that people experience. Um, but, but, you know, it's funny. I said to them, like, remember we did that speed dating thing? You know what we didn't talk about? We didn't talk about, like, living spaces or vulnerability to illness or circles of care or immediate finances or whether or not you have access to health care or whether or not you have access to a decent cook. Like, right. those were a bunch of advantages. That, like, people are in really different situations on the basis of those factors. Mm -hmm. And they weren't even on our radar a month and a half ago. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I'm, I'm thinking about the people in our group, I'm, you know, and I realize some of the people in our group are in really different situations when it comes to whether or not their jobs have already shut down, whether they have enough money, whether they have, whether, whether they're worried about getting sick, but like, if they get sick, can they go to the hospital? N not just can the hospital take them, but can they afford to go? Can they afford to see a doctor? Um, and so, you know, what I, what, what I think the message was, was we probably shouldn't assume we understand what somebody else is going to or casually listen to our friends just long enough to say, oh, I know how you feel. Let me tell you my story. Because <laughs> I think we're all so, so pent up with, man, this is what I'm going through, that there's a tendency to sort of quickly assume we know what somebody else is going to and, and actually to tell them our story to affirm to them that we're all in the same boat together yeah um yeah i think that is that that, that is true and 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 you know and i said you know we probably shouldn't assume that we understand what somebody else is going through or cat, you know, we, we probably, we, we, yeah, cause some of us don't even know, like, like truth be told, a lot of people in myself included, I'm not even yet sure how I feel or, or what I think or how I'm doing. Like somebody says, how are you doing? I go like, let me stop and think. Like, I don't know. Some days I think I'm doing okay. Some days I think we're, we're not doing so well. I mean, just in terms of our personal household. Like it, mm -hmm. it really goes up and down. Um, and you know, so, so, but, but I think the point I was trying to make to my friends was like in this kind of a crisis, it isn't just face masks and toilet paper that are in short supply. Uh, caring listeners and patient listeners and people that ask good questions and really give you a chance to share those are also in very short supply. There are a lot of people that want to talk. There are not a lot of people that want to listen. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and at that point in the caravan thing, I stopped and said, well, why don't we practice right now? And why don't, why, why don't we take a minute and, and let's give some people a chance to, to talk. And, and some people talked and some people typed out things in the chat, in the chat part of the, of the thing. Um, 
And, and what sort of things about just about their life, how they're doing right now? Yeah. I mean, I was just like, you know, what's on, you know, like what's on your mind? What's, what's, mm-hmm. what's worrying you right now? Or just, you know, how are you feeling? Um, you know, what's your situation? Um, because again, people sometimes go like, how are you doing? And it's almost like the right answer is, Hey, we're doing pretty good. How about you? Yeah, we're hanging in there. And then you yeah. like, you know, and so like, I think about you, John, like I, uh-huh. I, you know, we started this call even before we started the recording, you know, and I just go like, how are you doing? You're like, great. And I'm like, but I don't know that I've really, you know, like I get like, in a sense, I, I feel like I should do right now what, what I asked the people to do during that talk at Caravan is just go like, yeah, how are you really doing? What are you thinking about? Uh, I'm thinking that I'm always either overreacting or underreacting. Uh, this week, underreacting. Last week, overreacting. Um, I've settled into this a little bit, I think, where it seems like, yeah, we're going to be okay. You know, this is going to be a while and then... I do think we'll bounce back. Um, my optimism has increased, and I don't think on the basis of just, you know, optimism for optimism's sake, but I think just listening carefully and reading carefully about what's going on and, you know, the prospects of the world. I'm worried about, I, a lot of what I was worried about last week was my business. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this week is about, okay, I think I can do this for a while and then, and then bounce back. Uh, so, what, what do you mean? You you uh, think your business will be okay? Yeah, I think so. I think it will. Um, I don't have employees, which is good. And I saw today the um, the the news of the stimulus package, which is which has me feeling even better um, about it because one of the things that has been fought for for freelancers and people who are doing the kind of work that I'm doing. Um, who work for themselves essentially is uh, the the equivalent of unemployment benefits for us because we're kind of in this sort of weird in between purgatory kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so that has me feeling better too because I know I don't need a, a you know a whole lot to keep going. I, I know that it, it won't, it's not going to take you know a hundred thousand dollars to keep me going. So. Yeah, I'm feeling I'm feeling okay, man. Like, uh, and you know, everyone's you sl- everyone you that I know is safe and well, huh? Yeah. Oh, so, so all the people in your life are, are okay so far. Yeah, yeah, they are. Everyone is. And, and I don't expect that necessarily to continue. You know, there will be a first person close to me who has the who has the virus, mm-hmm. and depending on what happens there, I could find myself, you know thinking about it differently but for now i'm feeling really optimistic you know my my one of the big worries i had last week too was my parents had just left kind of like how yours were traveling yeah mine had just left on four flights internationally oh my um across yeah like they spent hours in london heathrow airport so i'm thinking man you know and and you know it's too early to count out completely the idea that they may get sick but uh, from from that, but it looks good so far, and and everyone's in good spirits. The other thing that has made me feel good is how much everybody is connecting with each other now, and that's something that, I, as an extrovert and someone who really likes social time with other people, yeah, um, 
I've I'm often frustrated by being the sort of lone wolf freelancing kind of uh, guy that whose life is you know often in front of a computer screen and and isolated from other people and now everyone's actually reaching out to each other and doing a lot of connecting and and I really like that so yeah so you're really you're really one of those people that is is doing okay like you're you're mm -hmm. like so when you say like I'm doing fine like if I dig a little deeper you go like no 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 man I, I'm really I'm doing fine like I'm not you're not in denial no and last week I I would have said not so much and of course I'm not you know naive enough to think that it'll always be it wouldn't take a whole lot, I guess, to knock that off. I mean, if I went to the grocery store and I saw less than the time before and less than the time before that, and then less and less and less, you know, that doesn't inspire confidence in the ability of society around me to keep to keep this going. But I think we'll there's no there's no reason, I don't think, for the average person at least, to feel, you know, hopeless in this situation. Or to feel like it's going, you know, I don't think at least. And um, of course, that can change when people around you get sick, especially people who get seriously sick. Um, but uh, so far, so good. Well, I, I'm not sure I share your optimism, but I'm, I'm right. I'm, but right. I'm really glad that you're not in pain right now. And I, I, I'm, I mean, I'm, and and I'm, I'm, I'm again, like I, I'm not sure that I've been, you know, even with, with you or with some of my other good friends, I don't know that I've been a very patient listener. I'm all, I'm, I'm very fast to get to like, did you hear what Trump said? Or what do you think about this package? Or, you know, like, you know, right, have right. you heard about New York? Um, and I think, I think. So when you're doing this listening exercise and you're hearing me say optimistic things and you don't share it, are you, what's happening in your brain? Are you kind of just resisting the urge to correct? Well, I think that in this case, I, I, I definitely put on my good listener hat and, mm -hmm. and sort of go like, it's not my job. It's it, like the point of, of this conversation is not for me, is not for you and I to collectively solve the problem and figure out what is objectively true about the world situation vis-a-vis -vis coronavirus. Mm -hmm. but like, I want to make sure that you feel like you got listened to. Right. Like right. The, that you were heard and that, that somebody like asks you enough questions back, like clarifying questions that you go like, okay, he's really paying attention to what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's important. No. And, 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 and I don't know that I'm the world's best example in this one conversation, but that's what I, you know, like, that's what I think the world needs right now is I think it needs for us to pause and go like, okay, John, for now, you're going to talk and I'm going to really be a good active listener. And then maybe another day it'll be the other way around. But at some point we, we, we've, at some point, uh, some of us have to, have to put our own needs on hold for a minute to be good listeners, trusting that that will create the conditions in which the other person will be able to do the same and you know, that there'll be some reciprocal listening that goes back and forth. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, definitely. 
So, um, well, and, and I hope that some, I hope that it's not just me who is feeling. So I, I, we have a mutual friend, Bart, uh, William Crawley, who wrote uh, on his Facebook today. He says, I don't think I've ever been more appreciative of the wonderful people in my life and the goodness in the world. Now, this is a guy who's sitting home like like you and I are, uh, but that's how much connection there is going on between people right now. And um, I hope that William and I are not the only ones feeling that, and the people in Caravan, uh, because there there is a lot of technology available to people to connect them. Yeah. Well, you're not the only ones, but but I promise you that there are people out there that are not getting the touches that they need. And and so that was why in our caravan talk, I was like, look, let's let's just pay attention. We need we need to be listening to the people in our lives. Definitely. But, definitely. But we also sometimes need to look at the fringes of our lives and think, is there somebody who I'm connected to that maybe isn't getting, they don't have what I have relationally and that I need to extend myself a little bit. And so, you know, cause you know, cause like the talk, like after everybody sort of chimed in, that wasn't the end of the meeting. Cause then I was like, okay. So, you know, as we pulled it back together, I was saying like, people are all over the map right now. Some people are up, some people are down, some people are in really bad conditions. Some people are, 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 are not affected that much. Or even, some of them are like, well, I'm, I'm getting more time with my kids than I ever got, you know? Right. Like, but in a, but still, even though people are over the map, in a very real way, we are in this thing together. It, 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 you know, we human beings are in a right. battle together. I mean, it's almost like that scene in, uh, what was that Will Smith movie uh, where the aliens are coming? Um, Independence Day. Yeah. Where, where the president gets on and says, you know, we're all citizens of Earth, like, and the aliens are our enemy, so we are one, you know, and, and everybody all over the world is cheering. And, uh, and, and so in a very real way, we really are all together. And, 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 and I know, like, all my climate change buddies are saying, hey, idiot, we always were. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, we, we were always in this thing together. But, but the thing is, is until this moment, I would say, Many, if not most of us, have been able to pretend otherwise. Um, yeah. You know, on issues like climate change or income inequality or healthcare, we conveniently forgot that on this little planet, all of our fates and the fates of all of our children are bound up together. Um, and suddenly we know better. Mm -hmm. And we know that, that like, I'm, I'm, excited about what they're doing in Singapore. And I'm terrified about what's happening in Italy. And not just because like I care about Singaporeans and Italians, but because what happens there is going to directly affect the fate of my, my, my children and my grandchildren. Like in terms of what that, what, what happens to the economy or what happens to the safety or whether that disease then spikes back. And, you know, so you realize like, we're all, we're all, all of our fates are caught up with each other. Well, you can't go like, oh, New York, like, good luck to you guys out there. That has nothing to do with me. Everything has to do with everything. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, you know, I don't, and I don't know how that'll play out in the long run, but like, I do know that at least for now, the essence of good global citizenship has become very, very simple, hasn't it? Oh, very much so. Yeah. yeah. Flatten the curve. Yeah. <laughs> do what you right. can, do what you can, do all you can 
to flatten the curve because all of our fates do better if the curve gets flattened economically, socially, medically, you know. Um, it, so, so, you know, all of a sudden you see that, 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 that social distancing is a, is a civic responsibility, civic duty. I mean, right. I, when I was on my bike ride today and I saw some people that were not doing the right thing, I was angry. I wasn't just worried for them. I was angry. I was like, hey, we're all in this together and you're not pulling your weight. You know, it, 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 I, I, I don't know if you saw those, those videos of those kids on spring break in Florida. Yeah, no, I did. I did. And they were on the beach and they're all, go, you know, and I saw the one kid go like, hey, if I get Corona, I get Corona. And I'm thinking, <laughs> hey, kid, you're not even at risk of dying of it as much as, but like, if you get Corona, you know, you're going to go home. And right. th there's other people there and there's people on the bus and there's people on the plane. Like, you know, that's, you, you know, so, so I saw that. And then I saw the, I, I don't, are you aware of these kids in New York City? No. Um, it's funny because my, my. My niece is in New York City right now, and she and her boyfriend are all, and, and like like 5,000 other New York young people, are all participating in a program that her boyfriend's brother organized. Um, and they've been on Good Morning America. They, they're all over the news. Like, it's, it's blown up. But what they started doing was delivering groceries to the most vulnerable neighbors that they had. To people that oh, just nice. shouldn't be going out to the grocery store, older people, handicapped people, you know, morbidly right. obese people, and the, and and these kids who are in good health are like, instead of going like, if I get it, I get it, fuck that, they're like, hey, let me use what like they used their social media ability and they organized a network and they found a way to kind of figure out who needs what, and then they arranged to have these deliveries, and so I think they call it invisible hands. Um, something like that. I, 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 I have an article about it that I can share with you. Um, and, and we can share on the, on the podcast too, but, um, so good. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, you see that going on and you go like, okay, like, and what's funny is, you know, for years people have come back, you know, we, 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 you see a soldier in an airport and you'll see somebody walk up to him and go, thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. And, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm realizing that this is the, one of the positive things coming out of this. I think our sense of like, who's a hero or who's, who's a servant of the people. Like, I feel like stopping my mailman and saying, thank you for your service. And the, right. and the grocery store checker and thinking like, you know, the person stocking those shelves and going like, it's, they don't, you know, like, thank you for your service or doctors or nurses. Well, I was going to say, you know, it's interesting after 9-11, you remember, you know, firefighters would be stopped often by people and yes. told, yeah, and, and military people. Police officers. And, uh, police officers. And, and I think we're going to be coming into a time in the next few weeks where it's going to be patently obvious that the people we need to be thanking the most are the medical profession. And so in that same way, you know, they're going, I think they're going to have that moment, that, that same moment as firefighters and police and first responders did years oh, ago. Yeah. But you know, it also like, I am at home right now and I have fresh water coming in, being piped into my house and somebody is having to leave their house and put themselves a little bit more at risk to be working in the water treatment plant to keep right. the, the water running. And you know what? Thank you. 
thank mm-hmm. you for your service. You know, there, yeah. there's, there's, you know, and so there's this sense in which anybody that's doing anything to pl- flatten the curve, there's a certain level of dignity and honor in that. And, and if you're, and if you're going to, you know, like these kids in New York city, I'm like, these are a new kind of hero. Um, yeah. The heroes of uh, the heroes of social distancing. But, you know, it's funny because I was thinking about like, well, what can I do? Um, and I realized that in some sense, I think social connecting is as big of a civic responsibility as social distancing. And that, that's what I meant. Like every one of us has people in our lives that we know are lonely. And I actually think it is heroic right. to give some of your bandwidth up, to give some of your time up, to give some of your emotional energy up, to listen to somebody or to reach out to somebody in that situation. Because the truth of the matter is, is I don't think people are going to be willing to make the sacrifices that they have to make unless they feel cared about. And unless right. they feel like the human race, why, why human life is, is so precious that it's worth protecting. And there are some people out there that are, that don't, you know, there's a lot of, there's, there's always, for the last number of years, there's been a, a crisis of anxiety and depression because people are disconnected. And right now, if people are disconnected and they don't feel like life is worth protecting their own life, or other people's lives, like those people, they represent a real danger. And so I, I, not just in a selfish way, but just in a humane way, I think it's really important that people commit themselves to helping other people feel cared about. I, I was listening, yeah. I was listening at Lin-Manuel Miranda and a, and a number of other Broadway stars. I, he wasn't the one that did it. He, he committed to it after the first one did it. But one of these Broadway stars realized that there were all these kids all over the country that were going to miss, that, that had practiced and put together their musicals, their spring musicals, and none of them were going to happen. Oh, right. And so she basically put out a call and said, if you record yourself singing your song, I'll listen to it and give you some feedback. And thousands of kids did it. And Lin-Manuel and a bunch of other Broadway stars said, hey, you know, like, I'm not, we're not going to leave it all on this one person. Like, I'll do it too. I'll do it too. So all these young people are posting these videos and they're, and they're being listened to by their heroes. And I'm thinking like, good for you, Broadway stars. You know, you're, you're, right. you're making those kids feel cared about. You know what? We need young people to follow the rules. And young people are, are some of the people like least prone to be disciplined in this social distancing. I, I love it that these guys are like giving them a reason to, to be good. I, you can probably tell that I've been reading the New York Times a lot, can't you? All my stories are from New York. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's the it's it's the it's the epicenter right now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. In in in, in some ways, I mean, I I I I think that it's important to practice information hygiene right now. Oh, it is. Um, there's a lot of bad yeah, information yeah. going around, and and not just information hygiene in the sense of what you take in, but also like what you pass on. Right. And also the amount of it that you consume, because you could just sit and be glued to it all day. Yeah. And so I, so the reason, you know, the reason I know so much about New York is I've sort of disciplined myself to saying, 
my baseline of information is the New York Times. And I recognize that right. there's a bias there, but I, it's, it's yeah, sort of we like, talk, yeah, we talked about right. that last time. Yeah. So, 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 so uh, yeah, I'm getting a lot from New York, um, stuff. And I, I guess that maybe that would be my other question for you. Like, cause when we were doing the caravan, when we got to this point in the conversation, I stopped mm-hmm. and said, okay, so what's been working in your relationships, the, both the long distance ones and the people you're cooped up with? Like, what have you learned about social connecting in this moment? What have you learned about pumping love across long distances or, or maintaining love in close quarters? And I, and I guess I, I want to ask you that, John, like, has there been anything that's happened in the last few weeks? You're like, oh, now there's an insight that is worth me holding on to. Like I've learned something. I don't know how much insight I have, but I, I thought it was fun. When you said coop, cooped up, it reminded me of listening to um, Alec Baldwin came on Howard Stern from his house yesterday, and he's got all these kids, and Howard's always joking that, you know, like he's, he keeps his life so busy so he can get out of the house and, and away from And that, that is funny because it's there's a grain of truth to, you know, people who's whose relationship styles at home are the kind where they don't necessarily want to be in each other's space 24-7 and who are suddenly in each other's space 24-7. And so you're like, wow, there's a, there's a lot of complexity to how everybody lives that's, you, you know, being tested right now or, or, or whatever. I mean, in my personal situation, it's, it's nice, you know, um, Melissa, Tyler, and me, it's just the three of us at home. Um, we have a decent amount of space. We're all able to, you know, take as much space as we want and be together as much as we want. And so, so, you know, we, we do a lot of both of those things. Um, one area I think I needed to spend a little attention was on my son, Tyler, because he's suddenly off school and isolated with us instead of being out and being active and doing all the things with his friends and everything. And he's got a little girlfriend, by the way, Bart. I don't know if you know that. I, I, I'm but, sure he would hate it if you, he heard you call her a little girlfriend. Well, you know. Uh, and, and, and and so now, like, they have no, you know, they, they, they're only video and stuff like that for the most part. So I've been enjoying connecting with people. Uh, I really have. Like, I'll have friends just randomly call me up on on a video chat and spend an hour who are always too busy at, at other times to do that. And so I've I've been really enjoying that. And um, you know, it's it, it's 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 been it's been good. I think I'm I'm hoping that at the end of all of this, people are able to remember the feeling they had when they took the time to connect, like many people are right now. Hmm. And maybe yeah. won't lose those habits. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, no. I it, it's funny because among the resources that I've shared with some people is an article a friend sent me about where they they interviewed all these deep thinkers about what they think might come out of this in the long run. Mm-hmm. And my my hero Sherry Turkle, who wrote that book about um, reclaiming conversation and about you know she's this technologist who realized that technology was destroying our relationships. And Mm -hmm. uh, when they asked her, she said, I think people are learning the proper use of technology. Yes. That they're they're learning that there are certain things that they were doing with technology, like checking their phone every three seconds, that's really unhealthy. But they're learning some healthier ways of connecting, like people that are playing board games together online. Um, Right people that are uh, having 
you know, virtual uh, happy hours. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, and she said, I think that airfare, like the, the, that we've been ruining our, our environment, flying around to meetings, flying across the country for meetings. And she said, a lot of people are learning. She said, the question used to be, you know, why would you, why would you do that meeting virtually? Um, and now the question's going to be, why would you fly across the country for a meeting? Like there has to be a very specific reason. And she said, I think that we may finally learn the appropriate uses of our, of our, of our social connection technology. Yeah. And so, 100%. yeah, so that's a hopeful thought. Um, yeah. And I've never been more connected to my Ireland family. Like, you know, I'm always thinking right, right now it's, it's uh, three ten p.m. here. It's ten ten p.m. where they are. So I know that like my window for today is probably closed mm -hmm, with them now. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, tomorrow morning I'll I'll jump on. Like I woke up this morning, my dad called me first thing. So you know, we're doing a lot of that now, and that's not something they would have necessarily spent as much time doing as they are now. Yeah. So so that's been that's been nice. So you know, I'll. I guess the, the last, I'll throw out one last idea. Yeah. Because after we got done at the caravan meeting, talking about ways we were connecting and, and trying to help each other in that area, I ended up, you know, quoting, talking about this editorial I read in the New York Times, haha, <laughs> the New York Times, by Elaine Dubouton who I love, you know, this guy who did that great Ted talk, Atheism 2.0, and he runs the school, yeah. the school of life in uh, London, which is a wonderful sort of humane community. Um, but he wrote an editorial that was a reflection on Albert Camus' post-World War II novel, The Plague. Um, and I don't know if you've read any Camus. He used this kind mm -hmm. of existentialist or some would call him a nihilist um and and he he wrote you know the stranger and and he 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 wrote a number of really kind of heavy books but in this one the plague it turns out Camus had done a lot of research about how real plagues work or worked back then and he and this this whole book is about a town that and uh, that a virus comes and they make all the same human mistakes that we're seeing being made right now. There's denial, there's delay, there's, you know, th there's fear and xenophobia, there's all sorts of things going on. But what Camus points out in this book is, is that a plague only concentrates a reality that's there, all, that's always been there. And that, the, what he calls the universal precondition, the perpetual rule. And that is that we're always vulnerable. That being, right. being alive always was and always will be a perpetual emergency. We're all living forever in the shadow of death. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and so, you know, it, and, and Dubutan, when he's commenting on this, says, that's, that's the valuable thing. I mean, it's, it's like my old Ingersoll quote, you know, that um, love is a flower that only grows on the, on the edge of a grave. That, mm -hmm. that it is the awareness of our vulnerability 
that inspires us to care for each other, that, that, that creates an urgency to love and to be loved. It's, it's, our, it's the fragility of life that makes it so precious to us. Um, it's our awareness of our own mortality that replaces blind optimism. You know, optim- you know hey, everything's going to be fine. You're never going to die. You know, life goes on forever. Like, like, it's when you become aware that you're mortal and that we're all mortal that you go like, oh, no, no, I can't be optimistic necessarily, but I can be hopeful. Right. I can be hopeful because having hope doesn't mean that ev- you think everything's going to work out in the end. I mean, like, no, like I, had, I, I had a conversation. Yeah, I was going to say I had a conversation very much like this yesterday where, you know, just talking about how we do prop ourselves. All of modern life really is about propping ourselves up with very elaborate um, pillows and cushions um, against that rea- against that ultimate reality. Yeah, Ernst Becker um, called it the denial of death. Like we do everything we can to build yeah. a big firewall so we don't have to look at it or think about it or take it seriously. Um, yeah, yeah. Or you see even how, like I never hear, on, especially in the Western United States, I never see cemeteries ever. Like you just don't see, like we hide them. <laughs> we yeah. don't even know where, where they are. So it is, that is an interesting observation. And I, I do want, I was having the conversation yesterday about just how, you know, something like this can Perhaps maybe some of the kindness we're seeing and some of the um, connection that we're seeing is is finally it hitting people. Yeah, like th- this is. Yeah, and it do- you, it doesn't yeah. have to be awful. Like like the seeing a cemetery, knowing you're going to die, realizing that your life is fragile and that could it be taken away from you at any moment. That doesn't have to make you a nihilist. That doesn't have to make you a despairing person. It, no. it, for many people, it fills them with a sense of, oh, urgent, this is precious, this is important. I mean, hope is not saying everything's going to be fine. Hope comes when you go like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't, I don't, I don't know what's, I don't, nobody knows for sure what's going to happen because most of it's outside of our control. Just like in this moment, most of it's outside of our control. And so, but realizing that in the midst of that uncertainty, what I do, what you do might make a difference, might make a difference in the big scheme of things, or it might miss, make a difference for that one person. And so we need to do our best because we don't know what's going to happen, because it's all so fragile, because it's all so brief, we, we need to do our best because in the midst of that uncertainty, what, our, what we do might make a difference. And, and so that's why, like what, what, what Dubouton says is, is he doesn't think Camus was a nihilist and I don't either. I, I think he was a stoic. Because that, mm. that you know, like, because that's what the Stoics taught is that you right. should you should accept with equanimity the things you can't control, and there's a hell of a lot of that right now, including our government. And but you, that you should focus your attention and your energy on attending to the things you can control. And I think that it my my hope is that we would all become a little bit more Stoic in this moment. Um, not stoic in the sense of that we stand by and go like, I don't, you know, whatever will be, will be, say la vie, you know, or, or que sera, sera, but rather that we would become truly stoic and say, you know what, I'm going to not spend too much time worrying about 
decisions that are being made that I can't influence. And I'm going to be really, really careful about doing what I can to flatten the curve and doing what I can to make people feel connected and doing what I can to make the most of my life in this moment. I love that. So that was the talk. That's great. That's great. And and so did we pretty much do it right there? Like did, when, we, when we were talking about it, was that the, the gist? And at the end, what happens at the end? I mean, at the end, you know, I, I was sort of saying, like saying to people, okay, now <laughs> that's, that's all I got. That, that, that was, that was the sum of our thoughts is like, we all need to do what we can to flatten the curve. And part of that is social distancing and part of that is social connecting and, uh, and we'll connect better. Not if we, not if we pretend everything's going to be okay, we'll connect better if we recognize that life is always an emergency. We're just a, more yeah. aware of it now. And that in this emergency we call life, the smartest thing to do is to love each other. And, you know, that's what, that's what a thing like caravan is about anyway. That's like our overall belief is that right. the way to make the most of life is by, is by pursuing uh, loving kindness um, with all yeah. you've got. So, so it, and then, so then we just, then we had a virtual coffee hour after the virtual gathering. And I was going to say, okay, so yeah, so people hung out. People hung out and, and talked and stuff. And, and, and the nice thing about it was, and this is one of the pieces of etiquette that I learned is, is when you have 25 people on a phone call, at some point, somebody's going to be like, I got to go. And, yeah. uh, but what people did quite naturally was instead of, instead of just bopping out so you, kept, you would hear the bings and you'd feel abandoned, <laughs> people uh-huh. would stop, they would step into the conversation and go like, hey, I got to go right now, but thanks you guys, I love you all. And then they would go and then, you know, and people actually said goodbye like you would at a real meeting and it was beautiful. Nice. It was beautiful. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. So um, the tech, and I've noticed some people are really, really, really bad at the technology yeah. of this stuff where, you know, I mean, some, sometimes people's mics are feeding back and all kinds of stuff. And I think conference call. So what ha- what's happening right now is a lot of people, <laughs> whether it's the stuff they have to do through work, um, work meetings and, and things like that, or whether it's, you know, just casual or, or something like you're doing, people are having a learning curve very quickly. Yeah. And there are resources for that. You know, you can go online and and find out the answer to any of this stuff right now. There are resources, yeah. I mean, it was funny because um, somebody said, hey, I went back and listened to that episode that you did with that um, woman, Vanessa Brake. Uh, no, what's her name? Vanessa, I can't remember her last name, but she was the one who does Harry Potter as sacred text. Oh, right. And they said, you know what? Right now, a lot of people need to be transported out of this reality for a few hours. And so a lot more people are reading, rereading Harry Potter and they're getting together to talk about Harry Potter. Um, nice. And, and, and sort of like the way sometimes- Vanessa people, Zoltan. Yeah, Vanessa Zoltan. So yeah. So I, you know, all I'm saying is, is that there was some real beauty to the connection and I, I, we will. We'll, we'll, we'll throw some, we're going to throw some good stuff up on Patreon. We're going to throw some good stuff up on the, on, on the, on the show notes for this show. Um, and, uh, I'm not going to hang up this call, John, without saying goodbye to you. Well, we should, we should, uh, do that now. Yeah. Hey, listen, if you want, if you want to know more about any of the stuff we're talking about, you know where to find us, bartcampolo.org or humanizemepodcast.com. Um, and the show notes will be there. 
Um, we're going we're gonna to try to keep, pump out a lot of good content in the next few weeks because, you know, we, we, we don't run water treatment plants and we're not doctors and nurses, but like pumping, pumping hope into a, a difficult moment, that is something, that's what we do. That's what we have to contribute. And so we're going to try to do a really good job of it. Yeah, and I, I just want to say thanks uh, to all of the patrons who are sticking with us, even in a hard time, and keeping the podcast going. You are helping um, because it, it literally couldn't exist otherwise, and we do have some extra content we're going to put on that very, very soon for you guys. All right. Love. Thanks, Bart. Love to you, John. Love to, and love, bye. Love to everybody. Bye, and yeah, we'll talk to you guys soon. Bye-bye. For more on Bart, go to bartcampolo.org. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting it every month and get extra content for it. Go to patreon.com slash humanize me. Our patrons do make the show happen. Follow us at humanize me pod on Twitter and humanize me podcast on Instagram. You can also join other listeners on our private Facebook group. Just search humanize me on Facebook. To ask your own question on the show, leave it as a voicemail at 424 424- 291-2092. That's 424-291-2092. And finally, please review us on iTunes. It really helps. Catch you next week. Humanize Me is a production of Jux Media. You could be larger than life. Oh